All right, we're in a series called Opportunities and Threats because we are in a time of cultural earthquake in our world. So this is the seventh week, so by now you know the theme. It's the basic idea that the world is rumbling, the world is shaking, does not feel secure for anybody. And what do we do in the midst of that? And my charge has been we take ourselves to God's word for verses like Hebrews 10, 39, that says, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. So even though our gut reaction at times when things are hard or scary is to, is to duck and cover, there are times when that mentality, that mindset, those actions can actually be to our destruction. And if that's not a familiar word, destruction is not a good thing. We want to flourish. We want to walk into the abundant life that Jesus has. We want to thrive. We want to be more than conquerors. We don't want to be destroyed. So there's a time when shrinking back is not the right posture, but rather digging in to the goodness of God, letting him strengthen us and say, no, we need to advance during this time. We need to hunger and long for and fight for to see the kingdom advance in us and through us. So we've been looking at a series number of different things where there's threats coming our way that would cause us to want to shrink back, but in each one of those threats is an opportunity to dig into the goodness of God so that God's kingdom can advance through us. So we're in our seventh week right now, and I do not have time to recap them, so they're all on the website. If you want to go review, weareelevation.com. But today we are going to look straight on at the threat that's facing us right now from many different directions in often very kind of subtle and in other ways not subtle at all, a pernicious, pernicious lie that wants to redefine the very essence of what it means to be human. Here's a quote. And if you haven't looked in your lift notes and you don't know who this quote is from, come tell me afterwards. If you honestly know who this is, I am just going to be ridiculously impressed. So just think about it here. Listen to this quote. Try to answer to yourself. Who, who would say something like this? Quote, at the heart of liberty, yeah, think about this one. At the heart of liberty, or in other words, the essence of freedom, the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. At the heart of freedom is that you get to define all of that for yourself. So I don't know about you, when I read this quote, I'm like, oh, this has got to be like 18th century, 19th century, one of those French philosophers that really, you know, brought forth what we would call today postmodernism. And that's purely what it is. If you're unfamiliar, this is, this is classic postmodern relativism. It's a philosophical worldview that rejects the biblical idea that there is such a thing as truth, absolute truth. And it instead asserts that all truth is relative and subjective. In other words, think about it this way. 
truth, right and wrong, morality, justice, in the postmodern relativism worldview, it says that all those things, right, wrong, morality, justice, that's not something that exists outside of you as a, as a truth to be discovered. Rather, it's something that you create. It is subjective. You're the subject. You create it based on your own feelings, emotions, desires. Anybody can see how that could be a problem? It could maybe cause some conflicts. I mean, what happens when your definition of right and wrong and morality clashes with my definition of right and wrong and morality? What happens if your definition of right and wrong and reality, in my opinion, impedes on my freedom to define that for me and for my family? Is that just going to be, oh, well, it's peaceful. I don't care. You don't care. You shouldn't. Because I just get to decide for myself what's true and right and moral and just. This is not freedom. This is chaos. And we've seen it, and we are seeing it. A little more background here. So this postmodernism, postmodern relativism was built on Friedrich Nietzsche, who famously, the German philosopher, wrote a lot of things, and among them, besides the fact that position of nihilism, which nothing has a point. Existence has no point. He also said God is dead. For some reason, that caught on. Sadly, he died of insanity. So his abundant life didn't work out for him. But it stuck. And a hundred years later, France was on fire with God is dead, and it produced this philosophical mindset of relativism. So you got this foundational worldview base that God doesn't exist. We've freed ourselves from the shackles of God. That sounds a lot like Marx that we looked at last week. So God doesn't exist. He's dead. Now we're free to create our own reality, create our own morality to say truth is subjective based on me. And that led into this quote direct, a direct philosophical outworking came into this ethic that at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of life. That's a French philosopher, right? No. That is 1992 Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy upholding the reason why abortion is okay. It all makes sense. There is clear progression. How is it okay? Why is it okay to end the life of a human in the womb with a beating heart, one that's viable on its own? Well, because at the heart of liberty, at the heart of freedom, is your right to define your own concept of existence. Relativism is going to not be a peaceful existence. It is going to create chaos. This is what Marx laid the foundation for that we talked about last week. 
when he said, hey, poor farmers, just take what you can get from the farmers who've produced the crop. That's, that's the subjective reality right there. I'm hungry and I don't have food, so my new morality is I can take it from you if you have it. Well, how do you think that went over with the farmers who worked hard and produced the crop? Do you think that fit with their own subjective reality? No. Caused, caused a bloody century of close to 100 million deaths at the hand of this philosophy. Relativism is not the path to freedom, as the mistaken justice says. It's violent chaos. It's, it's Darwin's worst imaginations taking place on the human race. It's Darwin's survival of the fittest playing out in society. Because if naturalism is all we've got, if it's just nature, if there's no spirit, there's no objective truth, there's no sacred reality of God creating us in his image, then, and we've got no, no moral framework, it's just survival of the fittest. And we can, we can see it infiltrating the, the perspective, the worldview of the Supreme Court. But it was far before that. The, the danger of relativism that has influenced many of the fundamental institutions of society. When we talk about children and their value, or we talk about family, we talk about sexuality. It swung wide open the door for Darwin to have his way. It's now pretty well known that the founder of Planned Parenthood, Margaret Sanger, was what they call a eugenicist or a eugenist and a flat-out racist. But it fits. It's survival of the fittest. Listen to these, some of these insane quotes that somehow our, our, our Supreme Court has said, yeah, good idea. So if you're not f familiar with the term eugenics, it's from the Greek word, which means noble birth. So it's this idea the practice or, or advocacy of selective breeding, controlled selective breeding of human populations to improve the population's genetic composition. It's survival of the fittest. And Margaret Sanger was an admitted eugenist and flat-out racist. Listen to this quote from her from 1919. In a, in a letter called Birth Control and Racial betterment. We know this isn't going anywhere good. Before eugenists and others who are laboring for racial betterment can succeed, they must clear the way for birth control. Like the advocates of birth control, the eugenists, for instance, are seeking to assist the race toward the elimination of the unfit. I mean, did Hitler say that? Or did the founder of Planned Parenthood, who now the Supreme Court says, wow, this is a great way to just live in our country. And she went on to make explicitly clear in 1939 in a letter that she wrote to Clarence Gable, quote, we do not want word to get out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. That's not Hitler. It's the same demonic source 
I mean, when she's talking about racial betterment, survival of the fittest, those who are unfit to live, she has her sights directly on. Well, in her words, the Negro population. That is why, and you can look it up to this day, 79% of Planned Parenthood surgical, sur surgical abortion facilities are intentionally, strategically located right in the middle of minority communities. Is this a way, this new way to be human, is this true liberty? The 54 million children's lives that cry out, having been ended almost all for convenience sake, before fulfilling their God-given potential. That's not freedom. <laughs> the solution to this madness is, is right in God's word. Psalm 139 is a great source. There are many. And this is part of, as we see the threats coming our way Church, we need to be equipped with mindsets that are biblical, that mindsets that bring true freedom, and we need to be willing to ask people, is that true freedom? Because that's the idea. That's the pernicious lie. I mean, that was the quote of the justice, of, of the Supreme Court justice. He says, at the heart of freedom, at the heart of liberty, is the right to define one's own concept of existence, truth, life, etc." So there it is. So that's where we can challenge, and we should, we shouldn't be just the ones getting criticisms. We should push back with questions. Is this true freedom? Is the fruit that this is bearing the promised land, the utopia, the abundant life, the good life that is promised? Because God has a better way. In Psalm 139, David speaks of God's intention in the womb says, you formed me in my innermost being. You shaped my delicate inside, my intricate outside all. You wove them together in my mother's womb. I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. Everything you do is marvelously breathtaking. It simply amazes me to think about it. How thoroughly you know me, God. You even formed every bone in my body when you created me in the secret place carefully, skillfully shaping me from nothing into something. You saw who created me. You saw who you created me to be before I came, before I became me, before I ever saw the light of day. The number of days you planned for me were already recorded in your book. Every single moment you're thinking of me. How precious and wonderful to consider that you cherish me constantly in your every thought. Oh God, your desires toward me are more than the grains of the sand on every seashore. When I awake each morning, you're still with me. You know me, you're with me, you made me, you take care of me. I'm not an accident, I am not junk. Foundational pieces of the biblical worldview that are standing in direct opposition to the, to the spirit of the age. And we need to have ourselves, our minds equipped with the good news to share the truth for her world that is looking for real freedom. Moving on, relativism's chaos is being unleashed on sexuality, on gender, targeting our children. You guys know that I've been 
working with a number of pastors and local school board. We've been talking about the sexual health curriculum that's now there. It's in all across California. Listen to this quote from one of those curriculums that's approved that is being taught to seventh graders in California, 13-year-olds, 12-year-olds, not in Menifee, not this curriculum, but in California. Quote, gender identity is how a person feels. Just stop right there. That is so utterly dangerous. Do the feelings of a teenager ever waffle? Come on, it's laughable, yet leaders have put the decision about their future, about our children's present and future gender into their own hands to the point that the law has passed that children can go to their guidance counselor, ask to take hormone therapy without parental consent because they feel that today there's something different than yesterday. You can go and look on that. There's just, that quote goes on to say, essentially, there's no such thing as, as gender. It can be anything you want. There's no, there's no such, it's oppressive to even put a number on how many genders there are. Because if you feel there's a category that hasn't been named and that's who you are, then you just named it and now there's more. It's oppressive to do anything otherwise. Completely subjective to the changing, developing emotions of each child. And the UN has only backed that up. They recently re uh, produced a pamphlet that's being distributed across the world, especially in developing nations, called Exclaim, Young People's Guide to Sexual Rights. Oh, yeah, no. It's, it is being mass-produced and shared. Some of the quotes in there, young people are sexual beings. They have sexual needs, desires, fantasies, and dreams. It is important for all young people around the world to be able to explore, experience, and express their sexualities in healthy, positive, pleasurable, and safe ways. This, is only, this can only happen when young people's sexual rights are guaranteed. Young people's sexual rights are different and more complex than adults. One reason for this is of the widespread denial of young people's sexuality. There's a common misconception that young people are not or should not be sexual beings with the exception of certain groups such as married young people or young people above, above a certain age. Sexuality is a central aspect of being human during all phases of each person's life. And sexual, sexuality and sexual pleasure are important for all young people, irrespective of reproductive desires. And here's two of the rights. All young people are entitled to sexual well-being and pleasure, whether or not they want to have children. Removal of parental involvement or spousal consent laws that prevent young people from seeking sexual and re reproductive health is a right. It's coming. It's here. Last one, last right 
And this is, this is distributed to kids so they know their rights. Here's one of the last rights. There's 10 rights. Autonomy to make decisions about one's sexuality in line with the evolving capacity of young people and without forceful interference from parents, guardians, or other adult figures is a right for your child. That's, there's, it's easy to understand, though. That's relativism's chaos just being unleashed on the world. We bought into, as a world, that Nietzsche was right, that God's dead. We don't need to listen to the God of the Bible anymore. So now all the philosophers can make up the stuff about reality, freedom is whatever you desire it to be. And on it goes into the ethical applications like this. Or we saw a recent law in California that many people are up in arms about where there is now... The easing of punishments for those who have sex with minors. So a 14-year-old child can have sex with a 24-year-old adult and up to the judge, as long as it's consensual, that person does not have to register as a sex offender. But we, we're, not we, but we're getting what we've asked for. When will this stop? When will this become offensive? Does this ever stop? And here's the problem. And here's where I think it's a healthy challenge to all of our friends out there who are appalled by this but don't want to root, it in, root their lives in biblical truth because you can't have your cake and eat it too. Because where, when does this stop? If you buy into the relativistic definition of truth, you have no moral authority to ever say this should stop anywhere. Because if I decide that I'm a pedophile, you have no moral authority to tell me I'm wrong if you buy in to the relativistic definition of truth. You cannot impinge on me and tell me what is true and right and moral. And hopefully there's enough people out there, not just Christians, who can sense that's crazy. That's wrong. There should be a line in the sand at some point that says this is wrong. But here's the deal. If you buy into relativism, you can't say that line exists because now you're impinging on my freedom. So I believe that's a great thing to bring up to people that puts us back to the biblical worldview and concept that truth is objective. There is some truths. There are some things that are just right and wrong. That's a biblical worldview. So if they will say yes to that, okay, now we're talking. Because now we're into a biblical worldview where it's who's defining right and wrong. It's not you and me anymore. It's God. It's outside of us. It's to be discovered, not created by us. And that changes everything. All of these things we're seeing in, in the curriculum and in the laws and in the UN, it's all based on truth is just created by me. All of it. So if we can push back and go to a ridiculous place, go to a hard place, go to a disgusting place with the person you're talking to to say, Does any, are there any limits or boundaries? Because you can't say yes if you believe in a relativistic truth. So hopefully that awakens, whoa, hello, there is right and there is wrong. Now we're in God's world. And he has the abundant life for us. It reminds, this whole thing reminds me of Psalm 2, where it says, why do the nations rage in vain? 
The kings of the earth rise up. The rulers band together against the Lord, against his anointing, saying, let's, let's break their chains and, chains and throw off their shackles. That's, that's, that's what this feels like. Throw off the shackles of morality. They're holding us back. You read that all throughout the UN thing. It's holding children back from exp- expressing their sexual pleasure at whatever age they've got it throwing off the shackles that are holding us back. That is a pernicious lie. We've got to get back to just that simple biblical truth that God created us with intention and purpose. And God didn't mess up when he created two genders. They're part of his beautiful design to perfect design to reflect his image into the world. Genesis 1, 26 and 28. God said, let us make humanity in our image according to our likeness. 27, God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them in his image. And then what did he say? He blessed them. He said, go be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Rule over it. What does that mean? means reflect the good nature of God into the world. As I've stamped my image on you, male and female, I created you. Now go fill the earth with my glory so you can see how the enemy's going to try to work overtime to steal that glory. To say that's not glory, those are shackles. And we've got to just get back. And our own lives need to demonstrate it. No, those aren't shackles. That's glory. And lastly, for this morning, each of these obviously could be their own messages, but just trying to pack it all into one day, just the reality of this new way to be human based in the rejection of a biblical worldview, a rejection in absolute truth, a rejection in God, and an embracing of just this relativistic concept of truth that produces chaos. And it has unleashed chaos on the family. Here's, another, here's an example. It's many places. But last week, we talked about the Black Lives Matter political organization and how there's this desire within Marxism, as trained Marxists that they claim to be, to abolish religion. It's all the same stuff as today in the sense of it's because that'll set us free from the lie of an existence of God. Set us free to create our own reality, orbit around ourselves as our own true son. That's postmodern relativism to a T. It has further implications. Here's one of them. So we disrupt, this is from the BLM political organization's website on what we believe and what are our goals Quote, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. It's deceptive in it, like, oh, sounds good. Yeah, take care of each other. That's good. What's intentionally in there? What's intentionally not in there? Fathers. 
to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. Fathers are absolutely just left out of the equation, and that makes more sense when you see that first line, that we have a value and a goal to disrupt the Western-prescribed nuclear family structure. Western-prescribed nuclear family structure. In other words, that Judeo-Christian worldview that this nation and Western civilization was founded upon and thrived from that, whoa, crazy, bigoted idea, mom and dad matter. That in God's creation, mom and dad are key. In God's design, as Jesus said in Matthew 19, haven't you heard at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Which is a key that we should see from Jesus. If God did it, it's going to be attacked. So look for the attack on this Western prescribed nuclear family where a man would leave his father and mother and become one. They would be married and together as man and wife, they would become father and mother. Let's remove the shackles of the biblical worldview and walk into the freedom that disrupts the Western prescribed family and creates a whole new one where fathers don't exist. This one is so hard to even... When people are coming from pain, any, anything's kind of imaginable, but this experiment has already been tried for a generation or two, and, and to, to just destruction and chaos. There is an absolute abundance of, of literature and studies that say that the absent father across the nation is the single most important factor in poverty and crime. 85% of all youths in prison come from fatherless homes. That is 20 times the average. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. That's 32 times the average. 85% of children who show behavioral disorders in school come from fatherless homes. That's 20 times the average. And these are a bunch of different sources, not just one. 80% of rapists with anger issues come from fatherless homes. That's 14 times the average. 71% of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. Nine times the national average. 75% of adolescents and patients, patients in chemical abuse centers, drug abuse, come from fatherless homes. Ten times the national average. Children living in, in single-mother single homes, female-headed households, no spouse, have a poverty rate of 45%. That's four times the rate of children living in married couple families. I mean, countless studies show that children who grew up with married biological parents, God's design, God's created order, have absolutely higher levels of well-being and success rate in every category across the board. 
Yet there is a, there is an aggressive appetite to say, let's redefine this whole thing as family. We don't need fathers. Let's free ourselves from the shackles of a father and mother being in the home and married. It's all our, our, our archaic oppression. The scars of your children do not say so. Now, in all of these things, God has incredible compassion that in the midst of it, if you have been taken captive by one of these lies in any area, Jesus has incredible compassion to come and say, may the truth set you free. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free when you know Jesus. And that's where it all comes down to. There is a whole new way to be human, and our world is experimenting with it, saying, let's try this out. But the fruit is devastating. The fruit is absolutely destructive. We're already seeing it. And right now, my conviction is that those legislators are guilty of child abuse. They're experimenting on our children by telling kindergartners there's no such thing as gender, so as a four-year-old, just pick one today. And there is no scientific evidence whatsoever that that's healthy. It's brand new. It hasn't existed long enough to test. And so they're just literally experimenting on our children from this rooted lie. Let's just throw off the shackles of God. Anything that God said to be true, let's do away with it and just experiment with it. That's where Jesus said, woe to you who cause the little ones to stumble. It's better for you to have a millstone throw around your neck and jump in the sea. There are some serious things going on. Some serious things that are only causing destruction. So there is a new way to be human. That's the idea out there. But you know what? Jesus said, there is a new way to be human. You must be born again. You must have the Spirit of God come inside you. There's great news. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to, eight things, when, to, to 18. When one turns to the Lord, when one sees that I do need to find a new way to be human, and you turn to the Lord, it says the veil, the lies are removed. Now where the Spirit, where the Lord is Spirit, excuse me, the Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's Jesus, or that's the heart of Jesus, talking about Jesus. When we see Jesus, we'll be transformed to be like him. That's freedom. That's God's word in direct opposition to that Supreme Court justice that said, you define truth for yourself and that's the ultimate essence of freedom. And we've got to be bold and compassionate and armed with the truth that said, no, that will only lead to a path of destruction. There is freedom. There is true freedom. And God wants it for you. You must be born again. You must be filled with the Spirit of God. Because where the Spirit is, there is freedom. Let's pray. God, we ask for your Holy Spirit to fill us up afresh. 
where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We honor you today, God. We say you are not bondage and shackles that need to be thrown off. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the abundant life. You are the source of hope and peace and joy and real freedom. So we honor you today, Jesus. And we say over our country, over the, the leaders and the legislators and the people who are writing this stuff that are putting a whole generation of children in the, in the crosshairs of the enemy for him to steal and kill and destroy, we say, God, Holy Spirit, break the lies in Jesus' name. May there be a wave of your spirit that passes over our nation and wakes people up. It takes the veil off. That helps us to see that, God, you are not the enemy. You are our Savior. You are not the one to be ran from. You are the one to run to. You are not the one to ignore. You're the one to embrace. You are not the source of the problem. You are the solution, God. You are the one we need. We pray for our hearts and this land, Lord, that your spirit, spirit would be calling yourself, calling all people to you, Lord. In this time of, of such discord and confusion, may the truth of who you are, Jesus, be what emerges at the top. Come, Lord Jesus. And may you help us be ambassadors with sharp minds, equipped with truth, equipped with your compassion, your discernment, your fire, your truth, and your power. May people be set free from the lies of the enemy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Dance a new dance like David